The scripture reading today is from the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 15, verses 36 through 41. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Come, let us return and visit the believers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul decided not to take with them one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. The disagreement became so sharp that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and set out, the believers commending him to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection. Gracious God, we ask now that you meet us here however we find ourselves today. Anxious, depressed, overjoyed, and a real season of what feels like closeness to you or a real season where you seem a mile away. However we find ourselves right now, help us to believe that you have created this moment for us. And you have something you want us to hear You have something you want us to trust, to surrender to. So give us grace to hear that. Help us to believe that you see us in all of our imperfection. And you don't run away. But you stay. You stay and always invite us to more and more see ourselves the way you see us. As your invaluable, beloved child. Give us grace today to see that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm putting you in the game, but you cannot shoot. That's what my junior high basketball coach told me. I was in ninth grade. He was a tyrant. He was an abusive coach. Larry Rhodes, hope you're listening. I'm transitioning out of this role soon, so hey, I'm taking off the gloves. (laughs) He was horrible. He berated his players. I did not get along with this man. I had been begging my father to quit this team. So he tells me, you can go in the game, but do not shoot. And so the first time I touched the ball, I shot. (laughs) Of course I did. And it was so close. I mean, it was definitely three-point land, and it went in the basket, dribbled around, and then bounced out, you know. And his response was to stand up with his towel. He always had a towel draped around him, and slam it on the ground and curse and scream and tell me to get the H off the floor, the top of his lungs. It was ugly. Of course, we lost that game, as we did many of them. And we're in the locker room afterwards, and of course, Coach Rhodes is just berating these ninth graders with everything he has. And the hinges of the door of the locker room almost come off as Jack Harrell Sr., 
my father, walks into the locker room. It's quiet. He looks at me and says, let's go. I wanted to look around the locker room and go, let's go. Let's all of us go. So I stood up and I walked out. And on the way to the car, my dad said, you can turn your jersey in tomorrow. Yes. You have to understand what a big deal it is for my dad to have said such a thing. This is a man who lectured us all the time. Heralds do not quit. Other kids can quit something. You guys don't ever quit anything. You're not allowed to quit. That's how bad it was on this particular team. And apparently my dad and the Apostle Paul had the same mentality about quitters. No tolerance, pretty much. I mean, this is why I love this story so much, you know? It's like the Scriptures read almost sometimes, we have to admit it, like a reality TV show. They don't leave things out. This is one of the reasons I trust it. This is the reason I think it's inspired. Part of it is because these kinds of authentic moments are not left out. It's not sugar-coated. Paul and Barnabas had a fight, a big one. Paul's often in the middle of a lot of these kinds of things. He's a drama maker. Let's just say it. This guy is not afraid to call people names in the middle of confrontations and conflict. In the book of Titus, he calls people liars, uh, let's see, liars, evil beasts, and my favorite, slow bellies. I have no idea what that means. I'm sure I could find out, but I just had no interest in finding out. And then in the book of, uh, <clears throat> of uh, Acts, he calls people whitewashed walls, but probably the place we would go to see Paul calling people names the most is in the book of Galatians where he calls people fools, he calls people bewitched. That's a fun one. He tells a group of people who are insisting that people still be circumcised, he says, I wish you'd just go on and castrate yourself. That's Paul. <laughs> He's not afraid to just put it out there. It's like better than the housewives of New York. I don't care what you say. Not that I ever watched that, but my kids are addicted to it. I mean, and now today, this other new argument, this, what's called a sharp disagreement, and you have to understand how loaded that word is. It's not just they had a little problem. No, they had a massive fight. The, the word literally is getting at is like a sudden attack, a violent expression of emotion. And so what I want you to understand is that Paul and Barnabas had it out. Maybe hands were being thrown. I don't know. Maybe they had to break them up. I don't know. But it was not just a small little moment. It was a big deal. And the question becomes, over what? What did they have such a disagreement about? Well, you have to go back to the first missionary journey. See, Paul and Barnabas are about to embark on their second missionary journey. So just think if you're in Jerusalem, you just kind of go north, curve a little bit west. They're up there in Syria, Antioch, that area. And now they want to embark on another missionary journey. But something happened in the first missionary journey that Paul has not forgotten. And that this character, John, also called Mark, John Mark, he, for reasons we don't know, in the middle of the first missionary journey, decided to go back to Jerusalem. You can read about it in Acts 13. Paul's referring to it in Acts, 30, Acts 15, uh, where it says, But Paul decided not to take with him one who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not accompanied them in the work. We don't know why John Mark quit. We don't know why he went back to Jerusalem. We don't know if he was sick. 
We don't know if he was afraid. We don't know if he'd stopped believing. We don't know if he had like an interpersonal rift with somebody. We don't know if there was trouble back home. So we had to, we don't know any reasons for why. I just know that humans, and Paul is a human, tend to assign the worst motives when they don't really know what's happened. Don't you hate it when people do that to you? I can't stand it. I don't like it when I do it to others either. It makes me feel less human, like I've lost my patience for people. Like, why did I have to assign that motive? Why did someone have to send me an email and say, you did so-and-so, I don't like it, and here's why you did it. And it's stuff that's never even occurred to me. And I know you've had that happen to you. You've done it to people. I've done it to people. We hate this. This, in some ways, I think is what Twitter is. It's one motive assignment after another. So we don't know why John Mark went, but Paul is done with John Mark. He's done. He had failed. He couldn't afford to risk that again. Paul decides that he knows the whole story on John Mark. Everything about him is he's a quitter, period. There's no room for his growth. You know, I love Maya Angelou. She is amazing, okay? And there's one quote that everybody likes to talk, and I've used the quote myself in sermons. And the quote is, when someone tells you who they are, believe them. Now, on one hand, I get it. I get that. You know, someone's being abusive to you, believe that they could be abusive to you next time. You don't have to stand for that toxic behavior. I'm not telling you to just be gullible. But on the other hand, people do grow. People do change. People don't have to be just canceled or discarded the first time they disappoint us. And I don't know, maybe Barnabas knows that somehow. I mean, his, his title is the son of encouragement, and he kind of lives into that right now. He wants to give his cousin another chance. Now, that's important to know. John Mark was Barnabas's cousin, so somebody could say, well, he's giving him a second chance because they're related. He has to. He's probably got family telling him, hey, I don't care. He's family. It's possible. But maybe he also was curious. One of my favorite values. Curious. Maybe he was curious to listen to John Mark. Maybe he was curious to understand more deeply why. Maybe he understood that behavior, never forget this, behavior always has meaning. And maybe he was curious enough to figure out what the meaning was behind his behavior. I don't know. I don't know what Barnabas was accessing. I just know that at least we could say he empathized. Maybe Barnabas channeled Brene Brown 2,000 years early and saw John Mark as someone that she would say we should always see everyone as this, especially as she talks about it in terms of raising kids, to instead of telling people or expecting people to be perfect, to tell people and to expect people to be imperfect. And she says, imperfect, wired for struggle, and worthy of love and belonging. I love that. People are imperfect, wired for struggle, and worthy of love and belonging. Maybe Barnabas was getting that. I know, I know I'm being hard on Paul. Somebody here right now is like, come on, back off on Paul a little bit. He needed reliable people. These were dangerous journeys. People died on these journeys. They were incredibly difficult. 
I mean, travel of any kind in the first century would have been really difficult, much less traveling as a marginalized group of people who are being killed for saying the things that are being said. So I get it. Paul needs somebody reliable. And here's my question. Who would you rather be in this story, Paul or Barnabas? Who would you rather have as your leader? Who would you rather... Uh, who, who, who comes out looking like the more emotionally healthy adult in this story, Paul or Barnabas? Who displays more empathy and more patience, Paul or Barnabas? Or put it another way, what kind of church community do you want to belong in? One that cancels you or one that tries to understand you? who will make time for your story and your voice. One that walks alongside you in your failure. One that stands with you when the rest of the world calls you a failure, even if you aren't actually a failure at all. You're just different. Hmm. Paul disagrees with the title of this sermon, I think. At this stage of his journey, perhaps. The title is Imperfection Belongs. I'm not sure Paul agrees. So here's my question. Who got it right? Paul or Barnabas? About John Mark. Whose assessment was correct? Well, it's not a coincidence that, Paul, that Barnabas is older than Paul. There's more experience there. Barnabas actually mentored Paul. In many ways, was Paul's primary leader. After Paul's amazing conversion on the Damascus Road, Barnabas is someone who would stand beside Paul and say, I know a lot of you don't think he's an actual apostle, but he is. Paul, Paul trusted Barnabas, and Barnabas loved Paul and led Paul. But Barnabas had a little more time under his belt, and maybe that's what made the difference. But maybe it was this. Maybe Barnabas had done business with his own failures in life to such a degree that he had learned that failure and loss and pain are actually the great teachers of transformation for a person. I think it was Thomas Merton who said that uh, success has taught you all it can teach you by the time you're about 30. It's not that there's anything wrong with success, it just makes a lousy teacher. The great teachers, the longer you live, if you listen and if you live into it, is actually failure and loss and pain and challenge. Maybe Barnabas had figured that out. I don't know. But whatever spidey sense Barnabas had about John Mark, he was apparently right in his assessment because, friends, John Mark made a comeback. And who doesn't like a good comeback? And this is where I talk to you about the San Francisco Giants this year. <laughs> Didn't see that coming, did you? That's, that's some advanced preaching right there. Because we are all drunk from last year. They won 107 games, and I'll bet half of them were comeback victories. It's like a drug. We love the comeback. And we got so used to it. And this year, they get behind a couple of runs and are done. And so we're all angry. And they're actually not bad. We just love a comeback so much. 
They're, they're so good. Now, how do I know that John Mark made a comeback? Let's start with this. He wrote a gospel. I mean, come on. When you're thinking about Hall of Fame Christians, does he get in? Let's see. Yeah, he wrote a gospel. I think he's first ballot. I had a friend when I was in seminary, but every time you asked him something like, hey, did you see that movie? He would always say, see it or produce it. Hey, you hear that one song? Did I hear it or write it? You know, stuff like that, always. That was his running joke about everything. If, if somebody asked John Mark, hey, did you read your Bible? Read it or write a gospel? That's what he could say. Yeah, he made a comeback. And then Paul, of course, talks about him in glowing terms. Paul talks about him in one place. He says he sends his greetings. So he's with Paul. That's in Philemon. And then in Colossians, he says, welcome, welcome him if he comes to you. So something, uh, somewhere along the way, Paul and John Mark reconciled. In fact, the most touching place of all is in 2 Timothy, the last letter Paul would write, which many people consider his last words that he ever wrote to anyone and it's like, kind of like last will and testament almost. Here's what I want to say because I'm going to die because he's in chains, he's in a dungeon somewhere, he is, he is you know, in shackled, he's not going anywhere, he's going to be executed. And so this is the duress under which he writes that letter. And what does he say towards the end of it? It's this, and it's so beautiful. Get John Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me for ministry. How about that? Full circle. The man he literally had discarded and seen as not worthy of being on the missionary journey is who he calls for in his dying day because he will be useful to him. I wonder if there's more to that. I wonder if it's like pleading John Mark, I want to talk to him before I die. I want to say a few things about that event. I don't know. But maybe there was that going on. So, what are some lessons we can learn? That's the story. That's the full circle restoration. What are the lessons? Well, first of all, people are a book, not a chapter. Please remember that. You only encounter other people in the midst of some chapter in their life. It might be a rough one. It might be a great one. It might be just somewhere in between. But it's a chapter. It's not the whole story. Somehow Paul, Barnabas, was able to understand that. That maybe there's this sad chapter with John Mark, but it's not his whole story. He will not write him off. He will say there are new chapters yet to be written in this book that is John Mark, and I want to be there for it if he will allow me to and if it's safe. And he does. How do we make room for people to make comebacks? It's a hard question because it has to do with forgiveness, which is always tricky. So let me always say what I always say when I talk about forgiveness. Forgiveness is not retrusting. does not mean you put yourself back in line for more abuse. It might be that you can say, yep, everybody's in a chapter. I can't be there for the next few chapters at least or maybe for the rest of those chapters, and I hope the book turns out great. I get that. But to what degree is God calling you right now to make more room for people to be able to make a comeback? 
Who have you canceled? Who have you assigned motives to? Who have you cut yourself off from that you will need when a healthier version of themselves appears later, like Paul did with John Mark? Hard question, I know. Tricky. Needs to be worked out with wise people in community with you. But nonetheless, people are a book, not a chapter. How are you making room for more chapters to be written. Secondly, I think in light of this kind of thing, it might be good for us to revisit what we mean when we say the word success. It seems to me, with a, with, a, with a God who comes to us in such vulnerability and seeming failure on the cross and weakness, that we might need to redefine success. In one of the many meditations that come via email from uh, Richard Rohr, he wrote this recently. He said, The revelation of the death and resurrection of Jesus forever redefines what success and winning mean. And it's not what any of us wanted or expected. On the cross, God is revealed as vulnerability itself. The Latin word vulnera means woundedness. That message is hard to miss, but we turn the cross into a transaction and so miss its transformative message for humanity. And then he goes to talk about someone you may or may not have heard about. A little-known figure named Therese of Lusseau, 1873 to 1897. An unschooled French girl who died at age 24, initiated or intuited the path of descent and called it her little way. You can buy a book now, still to this day, on Therese called The Little Way. She said, and Moore says he's summarizing, I looked at the flowers in God's garden. I saw great big lilies and beautiful roses, and I knew I could never be one of those. But I looked over in the corner, and there was a little violet that nobody would notice. That's me. That's what God wants me to be. Therese knew that we all can give to God, that all we can give to God is simply who we really are, or even better, to do very little things with great love. I love that. I need to hear that today. I feel overwhelmed. I think you feel overwhelmed. You're exhausted. Those of you online, you're not here because partly because you're exhausted. I get it. But I can do Little things with great love. Thank you for that. In a world that comes at us and has us saying to ourselves and maybe others saying to us, do something! And we just feel paralyzed by that. I can do little things with great love. Thank you, Therese. Goes on to say, which was her motto, little things with great love. That's all God wants from any of us. It's not the perfection of the gift that matters to God. It's the desire to give the gift that pleases God. And then last, last lesson. This is, and I'm kind of repeating myself here, this is a call to empathy. This is a call to, to, to listening, to nuance, to to Permit the messiness of evolving people to grow in your life. This story doesn't have a, 
a bow tied on top of it. You know, it, it, the split is the split. And people try, let me tell you, whew, especially, I just have to say this, especially white commentaries, white men in particular, who write commentaries, I've read a hundred of it, it feels like it anyway, on this in preparation, and almost all of them do the same thing. Well, this is really a good thing because now we have two missionary journeys going on and not just one. This is what we like to do, put a bow on it. It's actually okay, but it's really difficult here. It's a split. I'm sure it grieved God's heart, but more importantly, I'm sure it was horrible for John Mark. Let's don't miss that. He is being publicly rejected by his religious community, in particular, his religious leader. And we know, so many of us in this room and watching right now, how horrible that can be. To be rejected by your religious community, for many of you, not because you've done anything like leave a missionary journey, but just for being different. We know the pain. We know the sorrow. Don't think John Mark didn't feel it. Don't think he doesn't know what it must be to stand there and, like everybody knows, Paul thinks you're a complete loser. Oh, that definitely happened. And I'll bet you Barnabas walked with John Mark, and a lot of their conversation on that second missionary journey was all about healing his woundedness. Yeah. But at the end of the day, maybe Barnabas remembered. Maybe at the end of the day, Barnabas asked himself this question. I wonder how Jesus would respond to this right now. And maybe Barnabas accessed Look at me. Don't look up there. Look at me. There, thank you. Maybe, not just you, there's a lot of people looking up. I understand, but this is, a, this is the last point, so you, don't, you want to be here for it, okay? Maybe Barnabas, some of you are really self-conscious right now about where you're looking. <laughs> it's the power I have to make you feel uncomfortable. Sorry. Maybe Barnabas right now is remembering my favorite Bible story of all. And one I like to preach on about every two, three years. Maybe he's remembering another time when Jesus stood on the Sea of Galilee and looked out on a group of disciples in his resurrected state. A group of disciples feeling pretty bad about themselves, feeling like failures, in particular Peter, who had denied Jesus three times. And there's Jesus on the side of the lake of the sea. And what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat and swims toward the person he has failed. Not just toward Jesus. Towards the person he had failed, like, miserably. Denied him three times. Cut and run when the going got tough. And Jesus makes Peter and all of them breakfast on the side of the lake. Breakfast for failures, I like to call it. And it begs this question. Can you become, or are you, 
the kind of person that when a person fails, they move towards you and not away. When they fail you, they move towards you and not away. How that, might that impact how you are doing with your friends right now? How might that impact how you're doing with your kids? How you're doing with your parents? How you're doing with your coworkers? Maybe that is the kind of community. We are called to be because imperfection belongs. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank you that in the community of Jesus, imperfection belongs. We thank you that we have these little chances in our life to do little things with great love. Help us to navigate the perplexities because some of us have people that are so imperfect in our lives that we've had to, we've had to get away, and that is understandable. There's nothing wrong with that. Help us not to be misunderstood today. But in those ways that we can, give us grace like Barnabas, like Paul eventually, like Jesus always, to make room for people to make comebacks. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.